to another episode of Unplugged. Uh, another disappointing loss, I guess you could call it, at, at Geelong as we're accustomed to. Uh, there were some flashes of good footy, but just ultimately not good enough for long enough. Uh, we are without Darren Parkin this week. He's uh, not well and a couple of other things going on this week. So we're lucky enough to be joined by Ollie Geel from BT Sports. He's been around the traps for a while. Triple M, uh, special comments as well these days, doing some good things in, uh, in footy media. Ollie, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, um, I was supposed to do special comments on St Kilda Geelong on the weekend, but I opted to go to Tassie, and I think it was probably the right call that I made in the end. Would have been, would have been special yeah. comments on Geelong. That's probably <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Exactly. That's right. H, you uh, you were off the show this time last week as well. What did you make of uh, of the Geelong game? Uh, first half showed a bit of, I guess, a bit of confidence in the team. Thinking, oh, we're in the match. We're Showing a little bit, but yeah, second half came along and we just just didn't show up. They, they, Geelong flex their muscle as they should, being the top team in a ladder. And I mean, it's the sort of result we kind of probably went into the game thinking it, it, it's very likely to happen. But before the game started, we're hearing Blixar's out, Dangerfield out last minute, and we're going, okay, well, if we're ever going to beat Geelong in Geelong, tonight's a night. Mm. But as I say, they bat so deep Geelong that they brought in players who in other years have destroyed us. Mm. You're thinking um, Menegola comes in. He, he's played great football against us over the years. Um, Tui came in. He has destroyed us over the years. And you think, well, how can they be sitting there not getting a game and come in last minute? And you think, well, yeah, if only we had this sort of player that could just all of a sudden step in and, yeah, so it's... It, they're such a well-drilled team. You, it's the sort of result you thought, like, yep, that that's probably what should happen. Looking at positions and how the teams are playing at the moment. And I mean, the first half, we kick 7-1. You think we're keeping ourselves in it, but yeah, they, they, just, they just put their foot down and took off. It was, a, it was a weird old first half, wasn't it? I mean, we kicked the first one, it came out of the blocks fast, but almost as soon as we kicked that goal, it felt like, yeah, we, we withdrew kind of back into our shells a bit. We were kind of overawed, overwhelmed, etc. Um, and they and they were all over us in the rest of that first quarter. And then we kind of put it together for, for 15 minutes in the second quarter. We throttled them defensively. We were able to keep the ball off them. They couldn't get it past halfway. Yeah, I think we we demolished them in inside 50s. Uh, kicked four goals to two ultimately, but really it should have been four to one. We gave away that one right on half time that kind of killed the momentum that we were never able to get back in the in the second half, but Ollie, how did you see the, I guess the change from that first quarter into the second quarter and I guess what happened at the break? Mate, yeah, it's so St Kilda, isn't it? And it's one thing that we've noticed this year in particular that to be frank, I'm just getting really tired of seeing is teams getting out to an unattainable lead. And then at some point in the game, we show a bit of fight and you think, mate, if this was across all four quarters, not only would we be in a serious chance here, we would probably be within the lead. And there was a flurry of goals at certain points. And you just think, why? And that, that's the biggest question mark for mine. Is it communication? Is it, um, and, I, and I do think it's pretty clear that we've got a, a communication error going on throughout the team. I think when you look at our inside 50s in particular, you can't be kicking to a Max King on a three on one when you've got four other players left open. So uh, even though we were going into the fourth 50, as you said, we dominated in that second quarter, the actual delivery is really poor. You know, they go, they opt for a 30 meter kick instead of a 15 sometimes where Geelong were doing that really, really well. 
and they're, they're so clinical with their ball movement. Um, so, so what changed, I don't know, but all I want to see for the rest of the year and certainly going forwards is not allowing teams to get a 40 point lead at any point, because it doesn't matter how good we are. We just can't get back. And, you know, we might see like a Collingwood this year in particular, they seem to have that in their DNA where they don't need to worry. But our, our third quarters in particular and our second halves have been really strong this year. So you, you look at some of those games that we have been so strong. If we hadn't let them out of the blocks early, it would have been a totally different result. We, we've spoken about a couple of times, H, and, and I think this game kind of showed the golfing class between us and a team like Geelong, like Melbourne we saw earlier in the year, these really high-quality teams. But it's not that we can't play good footy. We know we can. We've seen us do it. It happens in patches, just not good enough for long enough. And uh, can are you able to kind of pinpoint where that's come from? Because in the first half of the season, I know that there were still elements of that, but we were certainly able to put it together for you know, a half a game, three quarters potentially, maybe not four quarters of good quality football, but certainly longer in a game than we have almost since the bye. H, are you able to, to kind of pinpoint what's changed? It feels like our, our um, game plan kicks in at some point and it, it starts working how we want it to work. But then the opposition looks and goes, okay, this is what we'll do to stop it. And then all of a sudden just stops it and we're done. And it's, it doesn't come back. It, I don't know whether they're, it's too easy to read or it's too, I don't know, it's not sustainable for long enough in a match for it to be effective. So is there an issue with the game plan we're trying to use ourselves? Are we trying to do something that just does not work? And as I said, we get found out very easily sometimes and teams will pile goals onto us and it nothing seems to change. I don't know whether the game plan we've had at the start of the year where we're really attacking, all of a sudden we can't sustain that attacking um, ability and we're not switching on defensively when we haven't got the ball. So yeah. there's, there's an issue somewhere in the, I guess, how the team sets up. And I think the other point of it is we've talked about all year saying that our players seem to be a step behind. We give these kicks, easy kicks. Teams just pick us apart, kick by kick. And we just don't seem to get up and take it on and defend. But as soon as we get the ball, we're looking and we've got nothing to kick to. So we have to kick it long. We've got to kick at the back, kicking on three players. It's it just, we don't seem to have that space that a lot of other teams do. But for a 15, 20 minute period, we've got players everywhere. And then it disappears again. So it's, it, it seems like it can work, but it doesn't seem to work for a whole match. Yeah. We've got to find something that we can use over four quarters because not going to win many games winning one quarter of footy. Uh, that's it. Nick, my, it's, that actually goes back to my biggest fear at the moment is I am pretty confident that it's not necessary. Say, I, I hope to, I'd like to think it's not our game plan. I'm really worried that it's the cohesion of the group, which is a, such a far bigger issue because it suggests that it doesn't matter who you bring in. It could be Alistair Clarkson. It could be the best in the business. But if the cohesion about, amongst this group of boys just doesn't work, we've got such bigger issues on our hands because I mentioned a Collingwood. You look at that team now, they work for each other. You know, we saw the Langdon tackle in what was it, the first quarter 
four players jumped on him. I don't remember last time I saw a St Kilda team tackle like that. I just don't. And and that that's my biggest fear. And I'm, we can speculate all we like, and, I, and I'm hoping, H, uh, that you, you're right. It just seems to be a game plan that, that Ratton's not quite worked out and we'll, we'll work on it in the off-season and come back stronger. But I'm just really terrified that this just isn't the group and, it's, and there's it's, not much it, you can do about that. Yeah, it's it could really be something point. between what we're saying. It could be the game plan, but it could be the groups, like the forward, the mid, the back, that the plan isn't working between them. Because we've seen a back line. They all seem to work together. Totally. The the midfield with, I mean, the last, when we've seen Hannah's come back against Hawthorne, all of a sudden it clicked. They're, they're all knowing what they're doing. They're all going, okay, yep, this this is how we want to play. The forward line, I mean, yeah, it's, it's struggling a bit, but yeah, there could be that, I guess, a bit from column A, a bit from column B from what we're saying there. It's, it's a really interesting point because I think in the first half of the year, we're all kind of talking about the cohesion of the group and the fact that they seem to work so well together. They're working hard for each other. Um, you know, we, we were very rarely out of a game outside of maybe that Melbourne game. And even then there was a little glimmer in that third quarter that maybe we could, we could come back because we, you know, we very nearly did. Um, but, you know, we, we came back in that Geelong game, came back in the Richmond game and, and really putting together some high quality pressure football, especially in second halves and, and third quarters to really come back from deficits at, at halftime. I wonder if potentially what we're missing is a there's there's probably a, a a talent gap right there's probably a few key positions that we need to bring some high quality talent into the club and I think that you know better or worse some of our draft mishaps over the the last five or six years have probably left us in a bit of a hole with some of those positions and some of the list management that we've we've dealt with and had to deal with guys like Paddy who was almost forced to retire and and then come back and he's ended up at at Sydney obviously playing great footy but um, you know we could we could clearly do with another you know intercept mark key defender that he's become at at the Swans but the other thing is that I, I think potentially every club needs those guys that plays their role, that knows their role. They're not out there to be a superstar. They're not out there to be a, you know, a Brownlow medalist, a best and fairest, et cetera. But, you know, Ben Long, I think is one of those guys that just goes out there and knows his role. He's a pressure player. He's a, a momentum player. You get him involved and, and he keeps giving and giving and giving no matter what. I think um, Dan McKenzie is another one of those guys. And I think we've missed him severely. And I'm not sure that we all, that any of us could have predicted how much we'd miss him once he got injured. Um, he had obviously had the, the concussion and then a kind of a series of kind of lower leg ankles, casts, et cetera, over the last, mm-hmm. I guess, month or so. But he's another one of those players that, that isn't out there trying to do anything special, but kind of get ball, win ball, attack, compete, contest, keep chasing, harassing, doing all that defensive stuff yeah. that, you know, teams need those guys that are willing to do the, the grunt work, the dirty work. And you can't mm-hmm. have a team full of, Hunter Clarks and Jack Billings and these types of guys, no, no offense, but they're not that in and under tough and dirty, rough and tumble type of players. Um, and I think we've really missed Dan McKenzie. I tell you what though, there are some positives about our squad when you're looking in that area. Like I think, you know, Dougal Howard gets the job done. Callum Wilkie, absolutely. Jack Sinclair, obviously we've seen, you know, there are some, some really positives. And, and I think it, it goes without saying that it's in our DNA. Sometimes it's in kill defense to look at the negatives, but, Everything that's been good about this year has been really exciting about going forwards. And that's a super exciting thing that, that we need to remember. Win Hager in particular, I'm obsessed with Nazire. Like some of these guys that you're like, okay, finally it feels like we're starting to get the draft right, but they seem like they do play their role. And yeah. 
and the positives 100%. that we can take from that far outweigh the negatives of this year, I think. 100%. And I think you, yeah. you see see guys like Win Hager and Owens and Nazire come in. And I think we've missed Nazire as well. I think that he kind of dropped at an inopportune time and hasn't obviously been able to win his way back. Um, I think that he's got to, you've got to play him and you've got to play those three really for the rest mm-hmm. of the year. You have to. Um, but even someone like Mitch Owens, who, you know, on the stat sheet, wasn't a huge game against Geelong, but the job that he did as that kind of defensive forward on Tom Stewart, we saw Cooper Sharman do it in that first game against Geelong earlier in the year. Mitch Owens did it again on Tom Stewart. Um, he had six tackles and it was just a really solid effort at keeping Tom Stewart uh, from impacting the game. And, and we know what type of impact Tom Stewart can have for Geelong yeah. um, across half back as that intercept marker and, you know, dis- distributor across half back and through the middle. But um you know, something like that where you see a young kid who's clearly extremely talented and, and offensively does all the right things. He knows how to win the ball. He's got great hands and he can kick a goal. But then to see him do that defensive pressure work on Tom Stewart was was impressive, H. Yeah, and these are the guys that need the games that they've played, have a preseason, then let's get them firing first thing next year because the, the skill these, guys, these kids have actually got, we've picked up absolute jets three of them and that they're the players we need to build around from now we've got them we've got max that's that's the core we need to build around get them it's going to get to the point where we get them the ball and they get it to max they're they're great ball users all three of them and they're only going to improve so it's players that we look at that we go we're going to get, we can get very excited about, but we need to do them the right way. We need to get them right. We can't, we've seen too many players. I mean, what was that stat over the last ever how many years since Sam Fisher or something that we've haven't recruited at all Australian. Mm. We're, 155 players drafted. Yeah. And no, how fans. many of them have played more than so many games as well. That's, mm. that's the other issue we've had. So we've picked some great players here. We need to get them right. We, we can't just, I guess, let them sit behind and do nothing and we get them out there, get them on the field. But they, they know what they have to do. They, they want to do it too. So it, let's wait for next year. Let, let's see how, I mean, quite often the second year can be the, the, the troublesome one. It's, it can be seen as sometimes you see a young kid come out and start the first year and they go really well. The second year can be a little bit of a, the, the troublesome one, but don't let them, don't let that, I guess, influence the selection of them. Keep playing them. They've got to keep playing. So that that's where we've got to go with them. Just, just give them the time and put the time into them and we'll get rewarded in the long run. Now, Ollie, you mentioned one of my biggest frustrations, I think more so in the second half of this year, but really it's been over the last couple of years, and that's our delivery inside 50. And you mentioned dropping on the head of Max King with three blokes on him. Now, I'm not great at maths. Maths is not my strong point. But if there's three blokes on one of our blokes, then surely we have to have free men somewhere else on the ground. We seem to have no structure in this, and, and it's something that we keep coming back to almost week after week. And we get it to work for 15 minute, 20 minute patches. And you know, Max will do something special, like something incredible that no other player in the competition can do, but then he'll be almost non-existent for the rest of the game. 
how do we fix that forward structure? Well, firstly, I should say that obviously we love Max King. We love what he's obviously. what he is right now and what he's going to be. But I, he's not there yet. Like he's not actually a ready-made superstar right now. So I don't know why we insist on going to a three-on-one right now. I'm just glad he's playing every game. And he's looking after his knee. He's learning how to shoot from different angles and, and meeting other opposition players. That's the best thing. But right now, he's not a player I think that you need to go to every single time. And I don't know. I mean, it's so, I mean, it's easy for me to speculate. And obviously, it would be far easier to see what Rats is actually talking about behind the scenes. But no coach in any sport, in any league, would ever just say kick to one person. Like, it just wouldn't happen. Like, you'd say, yeah, he's our target man, whatever, whatever, whatever. But you need to be flexible. You need to be creative. And we've we've shown we've got, you know, some seriously good goal kickers, whether it be on the ground. You know, like Dan Butler in particular, I, I think, you know, the sort of second half of the season has been fantastic. We know that Tim Memory will always be there for us. It's just about relaxing, being a little bit more mature, I think. And we speak about the Geelong game in particular. And I think that that was the golf in class that you talk about. We know that they're the oldest team in the league. And with, with that comes experience in, in waiting for that other option. Don't just rushing and, and look for, for Tom Hawkins because you've got other people that you, you can find. But also I hope that they trust in their teammates. And that's something, again, that I go back to is, is the fear of mine where you might see a Jack Higgins 45 meters out on an angle and go, Oh no, I'm going to kick to Max King on a two and one (laughs) when, when you want them to have faith and trust in, in their teammates. So I think we need more of that. And just, just something that has come up not long ago, actually the talking of young players and Max and that the AFLPA 22 under 22 squad has been announced with, um, we've only got Max in there, so beautiful. Let's, let let let's hope maybe he gets a spot, but it's a couple of tough players there. I mean, I think Norton automatically gets picked full forward, so yeah, he may may get the centre half role. Who knows? But, but yeah, it's a you look at the names in there this year, and you think yeah, there's some really good names in the mix. That's that team, and that's that's not going to be, I guess, an easy one to break into. So yeah, it's a um. See how it goes, whether he actually gets a nod this year or not. There, there are some good kids coming through, which, which I think kind of highlights the fact that none of Naziah, Windhager or Owens have gotten that rising star nom this year that they probably deserve, or all three of them for, for, I guess, individual performances, but also, I guess, the you know, the bulk of their performances over the course of the year. Uh, hope that one of them gets a nod in the next couple of weeks uh, for their uh, for their season so far, I guess. But, you know, it, it does seem unfortunate that a, a few of those guys, when they've had their best games, have come up against guys in other clubs that have just gone one step further or had you know, an out-of-the-box type of game. But I guess as, as we wrap the Geelong game, uh, should we get to, to some votes? Ollie, you mentioned off-air that you didn't want to didn't want to give votes, but any uh, any special mentions that you wanted to, to highlight? Special mentions. Uh, that That is my job. <laughs> so, so i'd like to sorry, sorry like to put you on the spot no no that's all right um look whether it be from the geelong game or, or going back the last couple of weeks i'm still giving three points pretty much week in week out at the moment to dan butler i think that given the um the new contract of course re-signing for a couple of more years has, has done wonders for him and relax um but look to be honest i think i think the geelong game I, 
not many people deserve the points. I, I, it, it was a tough game to watch, wasn't it? It was. H, who have you got? Given one to Rowan Marshall, though, with the situation that was at hand on the night, he, I reckon he had the opportunity. If he'd played the way he had the two weeks before, he, he could have been in a match-winning position for us. If he dominated the two weeks before. And since since Paddy's got been out, it seems like he's really stepped up. Um, they played a great game, gave us as much as he could on the night. But yeah, just 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 that domination he had in the last few weeks may have been a slight difference to what the result was on the night. If if we'd got more first use, if we'd just, I, I guess he'd taken Stanley to clean, and Stanley had a reasonable game still. Um, but if he just completely dominated him, I think he, he could have been the best on ground almost. Um, gave two to Mason Wood. I, I reckon he really put in on the night. He really gave us a, a target. He really threw himself at it. He really got just, he was there to try and win the match. It was, um, the commentators actually gave him a real rev up there at one point. And it's probably the first time I've heard a commentator talk him up all year. And yeah, it's a, Great. I was sitting there watching, thinking, we've, this is a guy we've picked up for free, basically. So it's he's really contributed this year. I think he's if he should probably be finishing almost in our top ten for the season in the best and fairest for the effort he gives for the um basically the heart he's shown this year for us. Just to he's a decent football. He is a decent footballer, and yeah, I think once we have that structure working and that he's really going to slide in somewhere that will really be um, really contribute well to the team overall. Um, and three to Brad Crouch, clearly best on for us. Um, I think it was, it was 30 touches and 11 tackles and um, I think it was a 30, I think 28, no 28 touches, 11 tackles. Um, most, most of the, uh, tw- was it 12, 12 contested disposals. Um, yeah, pretty much he, he'd put in all night and yeah, there's a few times where he was sort of seemed like about the only one in the middle who was doing a lot, um, and yeah, just pushed through all night, but yeah, obviously wasn't enough. Just, just him in the middle doing that. I've gone very similar. I've given some honorable mentions to Jack Steele, just another, another Jack Steele game. I mean, it wasn't his best by any stretch, but 20 touches. Seven tackles, seven clearances, and a goal. Rowan Marshall, like you said, 21 touches and 31 hitouts, seven clearances of his own. I gave one vote to Jack Sinclair. I thought he was just classy. I thought he was our most classy player across the night. 23 touches, seven intercepts, four score involvements, 423 meters gained at 92% disposal efficiency. When most of our other guys couldn't really get past 60% uh, efficiency, Jack Sinclair was, was a beacon for. Uh, I guess, disposal and, and cleanliness with ball in hand. I gave two to Brad Crouch for all those reasons you said. H, 28 touches, 11 tackles and four clearances. It was very good, again, in, in the clinches. But I gave my three to Mason Wood. I think it's probably pretty rare that, that he's been up there in this conversation, uh, whether it was at North or, or with us over the last year and a bit. But 20 touches, uh, 10 marks, 383 metres gained, four intercepts, four inside 50s, four score involvements and a goal was just a very, very good all-round game for Mason Wood on the wing. He was able to impact for us defensively, running and chasing, putting pressure on. Offensively, um, 
delivery in the forward 50 of all the, the guys um, that, that delivered the ball inside 50. I thought he was our cleanest um, outside of Jack Sinclair, who, who I mentioned before, but um, I guess more of that offensive power from, from Mason Wood, which I, I really liked. And the fact that he was able to get involved, uh, I guess, in the defensive half of the ground is something that we haven't seen much from him in the past and was very impressed with, with Wooden. And I think, like you said, H, he probably, probably deserves to be in that top 10 BNF conversation uh, at this point in the season. Um, and we've just actually just received Parco's votes as well. So we'll quickly run. He, he gave one Marshall, uh, two to Crouch and three to Sinclair. Very good. I'll add that to the tally and, and next week we'll, uh, we'll maybe do a full leaderboard next week and, and share where, where the votes are at. Our guest this week is someone who never really got it all together, unfortunately. He was a very talented uh, youngster coming through as a top 10 draft pick for Collingwood. Uh, spent most of his AFL career trying to get his body right. Eventually did for a couple of games. Uh, at the end of his career, our guest this week, Nathan Freeman. Ross trying to get it out. He was effective, but the who now steal and the touch from Freezer. That's great to see. He's on the board. Johannesson couldn't take it. Freeman keeps it in play, puts it back in towards Seb Ross territory. To get back on his left. Here's Freeman. Let's see the penetration in this kick. Goes to the top of the square, memory direction. Yeah, would have been a relief. Um, would have been a relief for the. Um, strength and conditioning staff as well. It's, it's obviously been a long time coming, but um, yeah, like I said, it's um, once you're playing and backing up week on week, it's you sort of forget about the journey. And um, yeah, I think I've, I've been reminded of that this week. And now just looking forward, I'm going to just be like any other football going out, backing up and um, yeah, hopefully contributing to this team and, and playing part of a winning team. There might not be too many players in the AFL that have only played two games at the senior level, but have had so many articles, so much media about that person in the history of the game. Our guest this week is Nathan Freeman. Freezer, thanks for joining us. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. Mate, I guess just to kick off, and, and we'll we'll go through your career, but what what's it like these days? Is there is there a sense of frustration that it, you could never get it right? Uh, I suppose at, at the time, yeah, definitely. Like my whole career was sort of one thing after another. So just a, a you know roller coaster of emotions and frustration and um more downs and ups obviously um but i'm sort of like nowadays i'm pretty content I've, i guess i've sort of fallen on my feet um after my footy career um i'm in player management now so it's at the time yeah definitely frustrating but i think it's um i think i've i've moved on pretty quick and i've um i guess it's just the way footy is footy's pretty brutal for every you know joel Selwood that wins flags from day one there's you know myself who you know, he's got gone as, as a high draft pick and never actually got on the park or had a real crack at it. So um, it's just the way it goes. I'm pretty realistic about it. So let's go back before that all started. Go back to your juniors and leading up to being drafted by initially Collingwood. But wh where did you play your juniors and, and and where did the, I guess, the interest from Collingwood taking you early in the draft come from? Yeah, so I grew up uh, in a suburb called Dingley Village um, in Melbourne. So I played uh, under nines all the way up until under 15s there. Um, and then I went to, was lucky enough to get a scholarship to Halebury College. So my um, I, most of my footy was done at, at Halebury and Sandy Dragons and Vic Metro um, from that sort of 16 to 18s year. Um, and I guess, uh, I think my top age year, I'll, I'll probably, you know, 
I was a bit of a bolter. I, I had a really good season and um, I think the, the interest sort of just grew throughout that, that top age year. And Collingwood obviously showed a bit of interest and um, I was lucky enough to be read out by them at, at pick 10 um, at the end of yeah, 2013. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, I sort of came on a little bit later than normal. I didn't play under 16's Vic Metro. I didn't play in the AOS team as it was back then. Um, but yeah, I, I came on as an under 18 and I had a pretty solid year. Did the Saints feel like a bit of a lifeline to you? No, not so much a lifeline. I mean, I, I, like I would have liked to have, obviously would have liked to have stayed at Collingwood. They turned out after me and, um, you know, you want to stick it out and, and you know, give back to the, the team that took a, took a pun on you. So it's just the way things fell. And um, I guess, you know, towards the end of that season, um, it sort of all started after that season. I, I didn't want to speak to any other clubs before the end of, um, my second year at the Pies just because, you know, I wanted to stay and I wanted to, you know, hopefully get a bit more of a secure contract. We sort of, it, was, it was only two years really that, that, we were, that we were looking for and um, that sort of didn't come about till really late. And then there was some other teams that got involved and asked the question, um, Saints obviously being one of them. So, you know, after the season, things, you know, the ball sort of got rolling there and I guess I grew up in the area. I grew up in Dingley, which is, yeah, like I said before, it's five, 10 minutes from Moorabbin. Um, I grew up as a Saints supporter. So it's sort of, um, I guess I, I went and toured the facilities at Seaford with, um, and Dave Armitage was there, who I who had known previously um, before getting to the Saints. So it sort of just felt right at the time. And, um, you know, the, the vibe of the place and, you know, obviously going into the club and, and meeting a few of the boys and stuff, it sort of felt right. And um, that's just the way it happened. Did you went to Cheltenham High? Is that right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yep. There's, there's, there's a pretty solid St Kilda connection with that high school as well. Was there any interest from the club? I guess in those early days pre-draft, and because I think St Kilda had what, pick three and yeah. then eighteen, nineteen in in that draft. Was there any any discussions with with the club at that point? Yeah, there was. There was. Um, I think I was. I think I interviewed every team I was interviewed by every team in that draft year um and yeah St Kilda was one of them um I guess you know like obviously I, I didn't play I played not many games at all in my first two years I was sort of you know I was St Kilda probably looking at the last time I played which was under 18s footy um so yeah I, I guess they'd just gone back to that and um sort of they, they knew the attributes in the and the skill set I had, and um, they backed me in to get my body right and play footy. So, yeah, there was interest. Um, I know Jason Blake was from Cheltenham Secondary. Um, not sure who else, Nick. You've yeah, made it was, up, haven't you, Nick? I reckon I have, you've made it I, up. I swear I haven't. I swear I haven't okay, made right. it up. I'll, I'll find it later. I'll find it later. So you, you get drafted, you go Collingwood, you start, I guess, you're training with them as you first start, and start walking the door. And when, when did you first start feeling that there was injury issues and start just basically when did it start feeling like, Oh, this isn't going to plan. Where, where was the, I guess the first, um, the first time you noticed that there was not going as well as you'd and really hoped to begin with. Yeah. So when I arrived, I was coming off a year out with hamstring surgery. So I think that the whole premise was, you know, getting to St Kilda was on a three-year deal. So I think we sort of felt the first year was going to be back finding my feet a little bit because I hadn't played at all really in my first two. I was coming off ultimately two and a half years out of, of playing, you know, football, um, 
so I think we'd you know establish that um, I was in a heavy like you know re you know training my my body and you know a different weights program and a different running program and that sort of stuff. So um, we're well aware of that. My first year was horrendous. I kept doing soft tissues. It was you know one after the other and. I think oh, I can't even remember. I played you know, a few development games when the development league was going around in the VFL still, just to just in, I think half the time it was I could I could do a Saturday session of rehab and run 13, 14 Ks with Marcus Krieger, who was a rehab coordinator. I, I could go play 60 minutes in the development league. So um I was just, yeah, a few of those games, a few games in the VFL, and I really was just so out of touch and out of confidence and everything in my body. Um so I think we, on memory, I think we might have wrapped up the season early and just put me into a training block um, from then. So, yeah, I think that was that was probably the, the hardest one where it was like, but but I think we, credit to sort of Marcus Krieger, who's a rehab coordinator, Andrew Wallace, Richard Citroen, like they were so good at keeping me level-headed because I'm, I'm always in a rush. I mean, I wanted to get out and play as, as much as possible, but um, they were, you know, realistic. From the get-go, it was that you any playing any sort of even vfl you know there's one thing to play to get back and play then there's get back and play and actually perform and then contribute and then it's get a senior game and then it's play well at senior game so there's a lot of steps before actually getting to where we wanted to get to so um a lot of the support staff and the support systems and the coaches and stuff has been killed are really good that first year of keeping me level-headed um but then, yeah, I think went into the preseason the next year. Um, I think oh, from memory, I think I went to Germany that year. Um, Oktoberfest? Yeah, oh, we just missed Oktoberfest. <laughs> it was your man, Andrew Wallace, who was the head of go. So we flew over there um, to Germany to see Hans Muller Wolfhart, who's the, the German Healing Hans. doctor. Yeah, Healing Hans, the German doctor over there that, you know, has his has his techniques and his you know he has his physios and his chiros and he's um he's got a whole setup over there in Munich. Um, so we went over there. We missed Oktoberfest by I think it was about a week. So the, all the Oktoberfest setups were still there, but there was no beers to be drunk. So um, not that we're going over there to do that, but it was um yeah that was it. And I can't I can't even remember what the next sort of my second year at the Saints was like. I know my third year I had surgery again. Um, but yeah, I, I think I probably played 13 or 14 games in that second year. So I'm not too sure. So uh, it's really obviously reassuring as a fan to hear what the staff are like and how positive they are. And I watched a piece, I don't know if you guys watched, um, when was it a week or two ago, Paddy McCartan talking with Gary Lyon and he spoke obviously really well about the Swannies and what they were able to do for him, but his time at the Saints, how, how do the staff actually physically, you know, brighten you up and keep you level-headed, but what can they do? Oh, mate, like it, it is tough. Like, oh, sometimes, especially with the long term injuries, mate, it's such a roller coaster. One week you might be fine and you'll be ticking the boxes, and the next week you you might pull up sore or you'll be a bit down. And, you know, sometimes it's like I would, I would have walked in some days and just not wanted to speak to anyone. And I think, I think they're like, I think they're really good at, like, especially Marcus Krieger, who's a rehab coordinator. You, I was in his, I was his best mate for three years. Like, I think he understood sometimes when, you know, he got, he's got a really good grasp of when players sort of just need space and don't need to be annoyed. But then when things are going really well, really like capitalising on those times when they are flying and, you know, in a good space mentally and, you know, you can get some really good, um, you know, benefits and progress out of that. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's all about just you know keeping the eye on the bigger picture. Because um, I've had times where I've literally I've hurt myself and I've, I've thought I'll never get any better. I'll never get any better. And then four weeks later, yeah, I'm back out on the track. I'm flying. It's thing of the past. So it's sort of just coming back to those times and they've reassured me, you know, they, they, they get the graphs out and the data points out and stuff just to show you. Cause sometimes it might not feel like you're actually improving or getting any better, but you know, they've got the hard, the hard data and the, you know, the, the graphs to bring out and show you that, Hey, you're actually, you know, a lot further along than what you are. It might not seem like it because you're going in such small steps, but um, yeah, just things like that. I mean, it's, it's their job and that's why they're in the job. So um, yeah, I guess just that, that, that's what, you know, that's how they can sort of get us through it. So yeah, getting through and, and getting you up for, for more training and, and rehab and all that sort of stuff. But what are some of the lows like? I mean, you were out for a very, very long time. I mean, we're, we're talking kind of four or five years straight, essentially with no senior footy. And a lot of media, a lot of expectation to get back to finally get fit and healthy. What, what are some of the lows like? Yeah, it, it is funny, mate. Like, like you said before, mate, at one stage, I was the most talked about zero game player of all time for a couple of years. Like, but I guess at the start, you do get a little bit annoyed. But then you sort of, the more time you're in the system, you understand the media and you understand the, the fans and all that sort of stuff that comes into it. So, um, yeah, mate, like I, I would have deleted the social media apps off my phone and re-downloaded them a million times over the last, over that sort of five or six years. Um, but yeah, like the, the lows are bad. Like I'm, I'm a pretty upbeat sort of bloke anyway. Um, but I mean, I was, I think it comes back to the support systems as well, especially at the club, but then also my family as well. Um, and my friends, I, you know, towards the end, I think it's as funny as it sounds, the, my best way of coping was it was coping with it was, with humor like me and my mates like i you know would sort of laugh about you know i'd, I'd do an injury or whatever but i think it's sort of just I, I went through the path of just being so down and just being a bit of a sook sometimes to it's sort of it is what it is like i'll get back on the horse pretty quickly um especially towards the end um but yeah that that's the way i sort of dealt with it but also yeah like i said the support systems are so crucial and just people that understand and can read your mood and um that sort of stuff and the teammates especially too like there was sometimes with me mate like there was like I, like I said I, I was always in a rush I wanted to get back as quick as possible but just even having the you know senior leaders and stuff like years and um I was you know close with Jackie Carlisle and um those sort of guys who you know David Armitage as well that sort of just reassured me that you know we're playing the long game you don't have to come in and dominate right now but um build myself back up especially where I was coming from off two years two or three years of, you know, not much, if any football, um, you know, it was going to, it was always going to take a bit of a bit of time. And thinking of the fans um, at, of the club, then when it got to the point that you were getting a number of VFL games under your belt and looking like, okay, you're going to start, you're actually going to come into the team. Um, you started drawing a little bit of a crowd to the VFL games and I, I might've got down myself one time and had, had just had a look first. And how, how did you find the support of the fans getting behind you and just, just getting that willing you on to get into the senior team? Yeah. Oh, oh mate. Like I definitely felt it. Like I'm not saying I felt it as in, you know, frustration from the fans, but I think towards the end, especially, uh, especially my last year in 2018, which was, which was my last year. Um, 
I think everyone was just sort of rooting for me to, to get a game um, towards the end. Like, I think it was sort of, it was sort of past the, it was, it was at the point where if I got on the park and, and contributed AFL level, or if anything happened like that, it was going to be a bonus. Um, and so I was like, I was almost, I think I said in an interview at the time with the Saints, like if, if when I was to play or if I was going to play, like I'd be so happy for myself, but also like, my family mates, the fans and stuff that would send me message on Instagram. Like, it, it's funny, like towards the end, like as much as I wanted to play and sort of prove it to myself, it was almost like I wanted to do it for the people that were sort of so supportive and believed in me and that sort of stuff. And I think, yeah, when, when I did when I did play, you know, those two games, like it's only two, but I think it was, um, you know, it, it, was a, it was a relief, but also it was a bit of a good feel story. And um as much as I would have liked to have just kept playing and played on, but that's the way it goes. Footy's brutal, but um, yeah, I definitely felt the support and, and stuff. And I did feel the frustration at times as well, but I sort of, uh, yeah, blocked that stuff, blocked that stuff out. Well, don't worry. You're talking to three guys who have played two, you know, will never play two games for the Saints. So congratulations on that. Uh, I'd take uh, two over nothing any day of the week. And then I suppose after that, you've, you've then got the transition period into the, you know, the outside world. And funnily enough, um, I spoke with uh, current St Kilda defender Callum Wilkie today on the, the show I do, and he spoke to me about the difficulty he finds that every Tuesday um, they he has a work experience with a, an accountancy firm, and he finds it just so difficult to get up for it because you get used to the the quick you know pace nature of being in a footy club, whether it be in meetings, trainings, the gym, whatever it might be. He's now really struggling to to find the energy to want to you know go and sit down at a desk, and obviously you're in player management now. How did you find that that transition? Are you still getting used to it? And, and yeah, how do you feel about it? Yeah, it's a good call. I mean, because football was all I'd ever known since I was 18. So I never had a job before I got drafted. Um, and like you said, you go in and footy's so fast paced. You've got, you know, your schedule comes out every week and, you know, you, you, you know you've got to be here at this certain time and you've got a meeting at this time and, you know, weights and training and, everything sort of set out for you. So sometimes you can just go through on, you know, zombie mode and you just go out and train and everything's just, it's just automatic towards the end. Um, but yeah, transitioning out. So the, sort of the story about how I got into player management, sort of halfway through my last year at St Kilda in 2018, my manager who was Paul Connors, um, he sort of said, mate, like if it, if it, if it doesn't happen, if you do get delisted, don't find another club. Um, I'd love to have you, you know, come work part-time, see if you like it. If you do, then, you know, we'll put you on and, you know, train you up and that sort of stuff. So I, I, pretty much as soon as I finished at the Saints, I probably had a couple of weeks off. I went away with the boys to Bali on a footy trip and got back and um, pretty much went full-time like straight away. I loved it. Um, or, you know, sort of just everything, like a bit, a bit of mentoring stuff, a bit of, um, you know, managing finances, um, just sort of, living in Paul and, and Robbie DeRazio, who's, you know, the other agent at Connor Sports, living in their back pocket for a, a year and just learning up and gaining networks and relationships and that sort of stuff with different list managers and um, recruiters and players and, you know, all those key key relationships that you need to have as a player agent. Um, and then, yeah, so I've been doing that since 2018. I'm, you know, sort of four years in now. I'm accredited as an agent. Um, and yeah, it's I'm loving it, mate. I mean, I work really closely with, the younger boys, like the under 17s, under 18s boys, um, up until, yeah, you know, second, third year players. So, um, no, I love it, mate. I mean, 
like I've always loved footy. I'm a bit of a footy head too. So I've loved stepping straight out into it. Um, it's something I know and, and sort of having the experiences that I've had as, you know, a player. I've, I've, I was in the system for five years. I've, you know, played AFL, played VFL, been injured, um, you know, off-field stuff like, you know, budgeting and buying a house and buying a car and, um, you know, any, any sort of emotional, you know, know thing the players are going to go through as they journey through from under 17s to you know playing afl and beyond um i've sort of got a bit of an insight into you know having experienced it myself so i think that's a bit of a key difference that that i have in the industry um but yeah i'm I'm absolutely loving it i'm sure we'll um we'll hear some more about i guess those experiences moving into into player management and that sort of thing uh shortly but just i i guess before the the end of the career um how did you have to change your game? Obviously the types of injuries that you had with hammies, uh, you know, as a junior known for kind of pace and power and lots of stuff. Um, how did you have to change your game following those injuries? Cause it seemed like you were, when you did play those two games for the, for the, the seniors, um, that you were quite a different player finally yeah. at, at that point. So how did you have to change that, that game and that, I guess, perception of who you were as a player? Yeah. Good question. I mean, it was pretty noticeable from when I was 18 to when I was, you know, 23 playing those games. I was a completely different player. Um, I think sort of when I started doing the hamstrings at the start, I was still trying to play because I was a pretty ballistic player. I was pretty explosive. Um, but I guess just after having done a few, you know, major hamstrings, my body sort of just couldn't cope with that sort of game style anymore. Um, as much as I tried and I played, um, like that, I just kept nicking my hammies because my body just couldn't cope. So I think I sort of, the way I explained it was when I was, you know, 18, I was more of a, you know, you know, danger field, you know, shoey type of explosive player. But when I was sort of towards the end, now I'm sort of like a, I'm like a Sam Mitchell's Tom Mitchell type of player where, you know, I've learned, I've learned to accumulate and, you know, skill myself up in other areas, um, you know, I probably from what I'm lacking in in speed, I definitely think I've improved. I've gotten a lot better in other areas, mainly just because of how much footy I watched in the time that I wasn't playing. Um, so I was my, my footy IQ definitely you know went through the roof, and I, I learned how to get into positions where I could receive and get in positions to to get the ball, and sometimes not have to get myself in vulnerable vulnerable positions where I'd have to you know defend on an eighty meter chase or or something like that. Like I. I sort of, um, yeah, it just became more of an accumulator. I, I, I still had glimpses of where I, what I was. Um, I think zero to 20 metres, like in the contest, I'm still pretty quick. But I think any any time where I'm making a really searching 100 metre sprint, I'm probably putting myself at, at, you know, vulnerable. And the way I saw it was I'd rather I'd rather maybe just take 20, 20% off my speed, but also just be out of the park instead of doing a hammy and being out for another six weeks. So... That was that towards the end, but yeah, it's it's a good observation. Like I was definitely a different player from when I, you know, eventually did did end up playing AFL to what I started as. Those those couple of games, it looked like you were playing some pretty good footy. Um, was it a surprise, I guess, for the end to come at the end of that? You having gone through all that work to get to the top level and play those games that at the end of the season, it was kind of over because I think a lot of the fans were surprised that having gotten to that point and you got your your games at the end of the season that all of a sudden it was, it was over. Um, what, what was the body like, honestly, at that, at that stage and, and kind of did it come as a surprise? Oh, mate, I probably knew I was 50, 50. Um, but yeah, it, it is a bit, 
Oh, it was a little bit shattering because, like you said, I did get, I did get my body right. I felt like I'd got my body right. Um, and like you said, what I was still the player I was when I finished. That was still AFL standard. Um, I might not have been what I was when you know I was eighteen or going up up the system, but um, I think yeah, it was funny, mate. Like so, I got that game. I got those two games. I got dropped um, for the Hawthorne game. I think they brought in Hugh Goddard and a few other tools. Um, and then, yeah, I got knocked out in the VFL and then missed the last game. So I had a pretty good last month of my career. Um, but yeah, like, uh, and then it was over before it really even started. So um, yeah, it was a little bit shattering. There was a little bit of interest from other clubs when I did finish at the Saints, but I think the majority of the, the view was that I'd need a go back and play a full season of VFL or just show I can get through a whole season and be durable. Cause that was the only thing. It was just the durability piece um, where, you know, clubs sort of shied away. And I think another thing that didn't, you know, sort of help me um, was, you know, the club was going through a bit of a period of change where, you know, Simon Lethlane comes in, James Gallagher comes in. Um, I think Alan Richardson was probably, I think he only lasted about six months after, you know, into the next season um, so there was a bit of a, a bit of a change and, you know, the blokes who were out of contract, like myself, Darren Minchington, Hugh Goddard, um, those types of guys, Maverick Weller, um, I think they cleaned out quite a few of us. So it's probably bad timing as well on my behalf, but, um, yeah, that, that's it, mate. Footy's brutal. I understand it. Um, someone like me who's, who played two games in five years, um, with question marks on my durability, I would have maybe liked to have gone on one more year just to, see what I could have done with, you know, having AFL experience going into a preseason and, you know, being fully fit for once in my life. So um, that's just the way it goes. I'll take you back to three moments. Give us, give us basically the order you'd go. I, that's the order I'd probably like to, I, that's the order I'd like to relive those in, in, in the case of which, which one basically got your most. You got running out your first game, getting your first touch, or kicking that goal and getting everyone around you? <laughs> oh, probably running out for my first game. Funny story. So my, so Dingley Footy Club, who's my local club, they, I think we got, I think we got 50 or 60 tickets and that all the boys from the, from the senior team, they were all up, up the race when we were running out, um, which was pretty cool. So that, that was, that was good fun. I think, yeah, running out was probably one of the, I'd probably say that was number one because then it was like I'd finally, I'd finally buddy done it. Like, as much as it was a relief, it was, it was so exciting at the time. Um, uh, kicking the goal second for sure. Almost kicked another snag about ten seconds later from the next yeah. chance, which just missed. And it's funny, like that's, I think I had fourteen and one goal one in that second game off fifty percent game time. So it would have been nice if I'd you know, went on with it. Um, yeah, that was, that was pretty good. I think it was a pretty cheap 50 meter penalty. I got, um, Ron Marshall kicked me the ball inside, um, got taken high and I don't know, maybe the umpire felt a bit of sympathy and let me kick my first goal, but. Be part was, of the story. Yeah, part <laughs> of the story. Um, that would have been a second. And then getting my first touch. I can't even remember. I think my first touch was a little handball, maybe to Nathan Brown or something. I can't remember. It was in the back line. My first kick, mind you, was so bad. I think it was to Jack Stephen. It should have been a handball. It went about five meters over the boundary line. So that's definitely, that's not, not too memorable. It was memorable fair bad it was, to be honest. 
Uh, we move on. Positives only. And I need <laughs> your help, mate. I, I actually do need your help here. Now, yeah. I'm pretty well versed in the world of contract negotiations in the Premier League. Um, and recently, I've bought FIFA and I'm playing yep. career mode and I'm dealing with these bloody agents, right? And they're giving me the shits. Incentives. What, uh, what's your point of view on incentives for a player in the real world, but also in, in the gaming world? If a player comes, you know, if a player wants to negotiate a contract and they say, if they're forward, if they're, you know, full forward, and they say, I want, you know, if I score 50 goals for the season, I need a, you know, a cash injection. What are your thoughts? Because isn't that their job? That's their job. That's what we're paying them for in the first place. No, it's, it's a good question. It, that is, it is their job. I think in the AFL, there's not really, you don't find too like I'd be hard pressed to find a contract that has say a goal incentives or a disposal or something like that incentives. More of the incentives. Brownlow medal, something like that. Yeah, Br- Brownlow. Yeah, you can have Brownlow. You've got, you know, top, 10, top 10 of the BNF, all Australians. Um, game incentives. So if you play 14, 15, 16 games, you get a, you know, bit of a bonus. Um but yeah, I don't think I don't think you'd find any individual um, individual statistical bonuses, to be honest. But do you, yeah. do you feel like it's justified to, to yeah. ask for that? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, okay, hundred percent okay. it is because because you want you want your players. You know, if a player's on three hundred grand, but they're in the you know top ten of the BNF or they're all Australian, you probably should pay them as if they're you know on more. So it's uh. It gives a bit of upside for the players, but also like you want your players playing as well as they can. And, you know, you want them to be winning best and fairest and making all Australians. So it's sort of a, it's a bit of a plus win-win for both club and player. But if the player consistently keeps hitting their incentives, then, you know, you can get yourself in some, in some salary cap trouble. So tell us about the body these days. What are you doing at the moment? I know you, you went back and played for the Dolphins in the VFL. You spent some time with Adelaide in the Sandful. Uh, I read maybe you're back in the SFNL with Dingley now. Is, is that right? What, what are you up to these days? Yeah, so I'm playing for Dingley in the SFNL, which is, like I said before, I played all my juniors at Dingley. I've got a lot of, you know, 80% of the teams my mates I grew up with. So, um, yeah, like I, I'd a, I've, a, I've had a bit of a whirlwind year. Like I went, did the preseason at Gold Coast. I went over to Adelaide in the Sandfall, came back to Frankston. I think I was just, I just wanted to go back and play the last sort of four games with my mates, um, finish off the year, works. Work's been quite busy. I've, you know, had an accreditation course I've had to do through the AFLPA this year, um, which was, yeah, last month. Um, so, yeah, just it's a bit easy, mate. Local footy, it's, you know, training-wise and um, playing-wise on the weekend and that sort of stuff. It's just a bit – it's sort of what I needed at the moment. I'll you know, see, what, see what happens next year and go around. But it's good being back and just playing with mates because I think for so long I've sort of – like even when I've been working, I've, I've been – still have having one eye on getting back into the system um, and almost did. Um, but, you know, nowadays, mate, I'm, I'm fully into my work and, you know, I'm 27 now. I, I, I won't have too much footy left in me. So I think the, the AFL dreams sort of finished um, and now my priorities back now into work. So um, it sort of just goes hand in hand and, and it's a bit less stressful outside of work playing at local level. I'm not going to talk about the, um, the senior player who's taken over your number once you left and the struggles that he had. I'm talking about a young kid who might be going through a similar injury time as similar to what you've had. What would be the biggest piece of advice you'd probably give to a player in a similar situation 
just just to try to get them through, just to maybe a little bit of insight to just say this is the best way to deal with it. Yeah, it's it, it's a good question, mate. Everyone deals with it differently. Like I I did every trick in the book, mate. I, I got off socials. I was on socials. I watched a heap of footy. I was a footy nuffy. I, then I completely went off watching footy. I just go to training and you know turn the TV off. But I think I think it's really it's at the end of the day. I was one, I'm always one that wants to just try and do it myself. Like I'm pretty, you know, not, I haven't got a, it's not, it's not from a lack of, you know, pride or whatever. Like, but I think it's the people that are around you, like they generally want to help you. So tapping into your family and your friends, like you're not annoying them, your, your teammates, your coaches, your, you know, support staff, that sort of stuff, like, like genuinely tap into them. Cause that's, like I said before, that's their job and they're, They've seen this before. Um, so I think that's that's the biggest thing. Like you're going to go through your lows and you go through your highs, but I think it's taking, uh, you know, not getting pissed off at people wanting to help as well. I think I, one of the biggest things, I always, always, always getting so annoyed with people asking me about my hamstrings or, you know, you know, wanting to help or having advice and that sort of stuff that I just get so frustrated with it all. But in the end, I was sort of like, nah, like these people actually genuinely like want to help me. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is, is speaking out, getting, you know, you know, talking to people and having, having people who you really confide in. Like there's, I've got mates that, you know, I'd go home from training and I'd absolutely rant and rave for half an hour, get it out of my system. And then they just sit and listen. And then to some people, you just need like that where you can, you know, get all your shit out of your, you know, your brain that you've been thinking for weeks and weeks. But um, also, you know, there's people there that generally want to help. So That'd be my piece of advice. That's good advice. I think we can all take something out of that. Uh, even at a local level, I'm struggling to get into my five-a-side team at the moment. So that's good. <laughs> um, just finally, I can't believe we've gone the length of the interview without asking. Um, a couple of decent shiners you've got there. What yeah, happened? I do. Mate, I, I tried to take my first contested mark ever on the weekend and I copped one in the face. So I've learned, Never again. I've learned I've got to stay on the ground, mate. I've got to stick yeah. to what I'm good at. Oh. Unaccountable footy's the best type. That's, right. That's what you've got to right. do. That's right. Not with my body, mate. I, I, my body's about, about to fall apart. Uh, well, H didn't want to didn't want to ask the question about Dan Hannery, but is is there any sort of correlation you see? I mean, it, it does seem some sense of karma or something for the footy club that kind of gave you the chop at, at the end of 2018 and then a couple of months later trade for Dan Hanabry who who comes in and only got a slightly better strike rate than you had um, at the senior level with with our footy club anyway um, but what's that like I mean do you do you still speak to anyone at the footy club have you had chats with Hannah's about his body and and guys that have gone through similar things as you yeah quite a bit actually I was actually in at the Saints last week with um, Tony Brown who's a welfare manager I'll catch up with and speak to Marcus Krieger and the fitness staff quite a bit I'm still really close with them um, you know, the docs and that sort of stuff. Like I was just on the text with Ian Stone, who is the club doctor the other day. Um, so yeah, really, really, you know, in touch with those guys. Um, yeah. And just the boys like, you know, Gresh and Jack Billings and those boys that I sort of was going through, I, I was really close with the club, um, still really close with them. Um, but yeah, like uh, in terms of Hannah's, like I, I know Hannah's personally, I'm, I'm, I'm mates with him. We've had a chat, like especially when he was going over to Germany to to see Hans. Um, you know, I spoke to him when he got back, and and just you know he was really upbeat. Like I think he felt felt like it was really beneficial. Um, and just talking to him about my experiences with you know 
doing that and coming back and how I felt um, and that sort of stuff. Um, but I mean, like who, who am I to, you know, give Hannah's much advice? The bloke's a buddy champion. He's played, you know, 200 and whatever games. He's been a finals superstar for, you know, a long, long time. Um, you know I mean? I'm, I'm just here and like I've reached out to him. So when he played a couple of weeks ago, mate, we've, we had a few DMs and a few texts and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really speak to him too much about, his body and, and what works. I think he, he's been doing everything he possibly can. He's fanatical and about his body and getting back. And I think footies is, um, you know, he, he loves, he loves just playing. So he's, uh, it's not through lack of trying Hunter's stuff. He's just got to find out what works and hopefully fingers crossed. He's got the, um, the answers now. Just finally, uh, the doco show me the money. He appeared a few times. What did you make of it? Were you nervous to watch it? How'd you sort of find the whole production in the end? Oh, it was good, mate. It was actually good fun. Like we, I think we had the film crew in the offices for about two or three months straight. Just, just literally, it was like Big Brother. They were just literally filming everything, just filming us working. We had we were mic'd up the whole day in the office. Um, yeah, mate, it was good. They, they were good fun. Like we had a we had a few good storylines. That like we had Luke Dunstan coming out of it, yeah. um, which was a, which was really good for him getting to Melbourne. Um, who else do we have? Like Adam Chera. You know, a few of the draft boys like Nick Dacos and um, Tyler Sonzi and Connor McDonald who were in the last episode. Um, yeah, mate, it was awesome. Like, I think it just, it was good for the average footy fan just to see the way it goes behind closed doors and just sort of the human element behind the trades. I think, you know, you get to trade period and as a fan, you sort of just see players moving clubs. And um, I think it just goes to show that the work that gets put into it, the, the human element behind the player's decision to leave or the player's decision to, you know, do whatever they, they do. Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it was really good. Um, just gives a bit more of human element to the players in the trade period. Just quickly, just just speaking about trade period, obviously in, in the position that you're in now, what's uh, what's the inside word on some of the, the big names that might be on the move in, in a couple of months? I think it's going to, well, I was talking about it today in the office, actually. It's, I think it's going to be a really good trade period. Um, I think usually in past years, one of the big, the bigger fish sort of pop up during trade period and something comes out. But I think this year there's a lot leading up to it. Um, there's a fair few gun-free agents out. There's a few players um, that are already getting shopped around. There's a few, you know, I think there's some, some big names going to come out of it. Um, probably can't say too much, I guess. You know, a lot of, a lot of work's been, you know, being put in behind the scenes from different clubs. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty exciting trade period. I think we'll just have to watch this space. Who, who are some of the, the bigger names that are in your stable? Uh, in terms of trading or just in general? Oh, just that kind of being shopped around at the moment, being spoken about as potential moves or... or oh, probably the ones in the media. I mean, we've got Brody Grundy. Um, what what happens there? We don't know. Um, Dan McStay. Um, you know, the other players who are getting shopped around or, or wanting to leave. Yeah, not sure. They're probably, they're probably the two big ones at the moment. Um I mean, last year we had some really good success. Like we had George Hewitt, we had um, Will Brody as well. Um, so some really good players leaving for, you know, there are, you know Will Brody was, was you know, for, gone for free to Fremantle and now he's a top three player. He's probably going to finish top three in their BNF. He's been an absolute star. So um, I think it's probably the big names are really good, but I think some of the other names that, you know, pop up that, can become key players at other clubs. I think they're, they're the ones that are really interesting, um, especially from my end. Well, speaking of big names, I can confirm that uh, the person that I was thinking of at uh, Cheltenham High 
was uh, the one and only Trevor Barker. Oh, so there you go. St. Kilda Royalty. So between you and Barks, you've got 232 games in the red, white and black. That's and right. uh, there aren't too many people that would have gone through too many more trials and tribulations than yourself. So thanks very much for, for putting on the colours and, and giving us your blood, sweat and tears over a period of time. You'll always have the honour of wearing the red, white and black more so than any of us will. But um, thanks for all your efforts and, and thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it, Nick. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. Nathan Freeman there. It was great to chat to, uh, to Freezer about his time, uh, mainly in, in red, white and black, but you won't find too many blokes that have, uh, I guess, spilt as much blood or uh, muscle tissue as, as he has uh, on, the, uh, on the turf for, for St Kilda. Good looking boy, isn't he? You are felt intimidated. Yeah, hard to look at. Yeah, it's annoying, isn't it? He's just going, really? (laughs) Uh, Quick look at the the game coming up. Obviously, it's another another tough one. Brisbane fighting for a a top four spot. They've got Melbourne to come next week Mm -hmm. as well in the final round. Their form's been fairly patchy, but they look like they're starting to put some good footy together uh, to end the season. Obviously, they had a, a tough loss against the Tigers. A couple of weeks ago, but outside of that, over the last month or, or five weeks, they've been pretty good. They're 14 and six, uh, percentage of 124. And of course, in, in that game in, in round 12, when we played them early in the year, uh, we looked the goods up to half time. We lost a couple of players in that second half, uh, and they just ultimately ran out of legs and, and ran over the top of us in that second half. We led by a couple of goals at half time. Um, things to, to look out for, Ollie? Well, I think you're spot on. It's really reassuring when you look back to that game that we gave them a genuinely good hit out when particularly if you, if you go back then they were Melbourne's like major challenges. Like at the time we, we were thinking Fremantle was a bit of a piss take Geelong were, weren't really where they are now. And so to go up there and do what we did was fantastic. It obviously helps us knowing that it's uh, under the roof, hoping for a big crowd. Uh, I'm just annoyed. It's not the MCG because then it would have been a firm lock. <laughs> H how do you feel about, uh, about the Lions. Obviously, they've got some pretty good players in pretty good form. Their forward line, obviously, is pretty tough to hold out. They've got Danaher and McStay and uh, Charlie Cameron and a few of those other blokes that are uh, you know, putting in some some good performances. They're, they're one of those teams you shut down one bit and then the other one starts working. It's They've got lots of different ways to hurt you. So, I mean, Neil's in Brownlow form. As you're saying, their forward line's kicking goals. But one player will pop up one week, the next week someone else pops up and kicks a bag. It's, it's, you can't read them. And, and that's the issue with coming up against them. You just don't know which player is going to fire on the weekend. So that they know that next week they got a tough game and they have to win this week as much as we have to win. It's almost more important for them to win, to get that top four position. Cause, um, if we knock them off, they're, they're basically dropping into the bottom four of the top eight. It's, it's, there goes their double chance. So it's a coming up against them this time of year when that that's on the line for them. You just, yeah, you shake your head and go, it'd be so much nicer to be able to, I don't know, be drawn against a West coast or something coming up now. And it's, yeah, just the, just the unluck of the draw that Sydney have then shown up as well as being, one of the best teams in the league and that that's where we're, where we're sitting that as important for us, it is us, the two teams we're coming up against, it's almost bigger for them. And yeah, it's going to be one of those games where I don't know, they kept Carlton to one point last week in the first corner and kicked five of their own, but 
or four of their own, I think it was actually, four, six. And um, let's just hope we don't start the same way because, yeah, I, I hope it's not over by quarter time because then it'll make the weekend yeah, an even longer weekend. And it, it's not not fun to be smashed on a Friday night. <laughs> it's selection-wise, and we're recording a little bit earlier this week than, than we normally do. So we, we're not really sure what the makeup of the, the team's going to look like. But it sounds like uh, Dan McKenzie, who we touched on a bit earlier in the show, uh, is knocking on the door for a recall and, and has has gotten a bit of a, a training block in and, and might be right to go. Dan Hanabry, it seems like the, the ankle knock that he suffered uh, last week is potentially not as bad as as it could have been and uh, could also uh, stay in the lineup this week. In terms of uh, other guys to come in, obviously Nazaya is an obvious one uh, at home, under the roof, you know, some room to move on, on the wings, could be handy. Um, Jack Bytel had a pretty good game for for Sandy in the twos last week. But H, how are you feeling about the the squad this week? Well, you'd think um, if if Hannes doesn't get up, you McKenzie's probably the straight in for him um, if he's if he's ready to go. Um, hearing that, yeah, it sounds like he's pretty well ready to go, but. With it, it was a, I guess, a mystery injury when it first came along in the first place. So it's a, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see whether Hannah's is fit or not. Um, it did, did see something after the match where they only showed him very quickly, but you like everyone's going, oh, yeah, he's injured again, injured again, injured again, that sort of thing. And you saw him just, just talking to one of the doctors, just going, the turf, the turf shifted under his foot. And I was straight away, I was like, he's rolled an ankle. And so it's like, well, at least it's not the injuries he's had previously. That That's an injury that anyone could do. It's just complete, completely unlucky on the night. So um, if it's just a rolled angle, I, I'd expect him to be there. I mean, I'll go back on my word to say that I don't agree with the rule. If he gets subbed out, I think you should be missing the next week. But um, if he's fit, he's going to be fit and he'll make it. So, um, yeah. Whether we want to make wholesale changes, I'm not sure. It's changing too much. You change too much structure and then all of a sudden you're getting smashed anyway. So it's we'll, we'll hopefully don't hopefully don't play around with too much, I guess, and try to try to keep the team we've got in there. Make sure the kid we don't don't drop the kids. That's the first key, I think. And yeah, we'll see what we can do. Pick pick the best team for the night. Zach your... Jones, obviously, last week, medical sub. Um, I'd love to see him back. A little bit of bastard, a little bit of gut, you know, and that, that's one thing that, that I don't associate us St Kilda, you know, teams of the – well, the good St Kilda teams, you know, had have that, that kind of energy. And so I'm not sure what his current situation is, but I think against Brisbane we need, we need a, a serious hard nut to, to get stuck in and wind them up and, and make some of those heavy tackles. So, Ollie, your your chairman of selectors tonight. What what are yeah. the changes that you're making for this week? Oh, mate. Well, Zach Jones is coming in. I wouldn't mind. I'm just trying to think. I wouldn't play Hanabry. I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't, because I think I would be gutted for him if he's not 100 percent and he ends his career on Friday night against the Brisbane Lions. I just couldn't do it to him. I'd want to go, look, you're not playing at all. You're not even going to play for the Zebs. 
we're going to bring you against Sydney and you're going to have the best game of your life. So that's, that's all I care about. I don't want him to play and I want Zach Jones to come in. That's my big one. Very nice. Well, before, uh, before I let you both go, we should probably touch on some of our weekly segments. That's so St. Kilda, Ollie. Uh, you mentioned the phrase on, on your own bat at the, at the top of the show. So have you got a, that's so St. Kilda moment from this week? Oh, <laughs> that's so St. Kilda. That could be a tattoo, you know. It could. That's so St. Kilda. Uh, look, my, my my gut would say that's so St. Kilda. Um, going down to GMHBA and being the second team um, you know, two, two weeks in a row to kick the opening goal and think, here we go, against the Cats and then just rolling over. It, it's, it's time and time again. Obviously, we saw the Doggies did a little better and pushed them <laughs> – towards the end of the second quarter and had a pretty decent lead, but that's so St Kilda to, to go on the road. No one give us any hope, start off really, really positively, but then that immediately be taken away from us. H what have you got for us? Now on, on a similar road there, I guess is the, the, the have to be the whole Tim Watson being the last coach who's coach to win out there for us. It, it, it's a record we'd like to get wow. out of, I think. Well, I didn't know that. It, wow. Yeah, right. I think we'd like to remove that record from the books mm. and get someone coaching a win down there now or very soon. Um, just just to strike that one off. That would that would be nice. For me, uh, you touched earlier, H, about the uh, our, our drafting record and whatever it was, that 100-plus draftees since Sam Fisher that, have come through the ranks and not been named all Australian. Uh, on the flip side, I saw a tweet from uh, the great Sir Swamp Thing uh, earlier today. Um, actually, yesterday it was uh, about opposition sides in uh, Rising Star nomination games. And St Kilda has been the opposition for Rising Star nomination games, the most of any club in the competition. It always seems like these good young players come and have their breakout games against us. Uh, we've had 60 Rising Star nominations oh. against us. The next most is Melbourne with 51 and then Richmond 47, Essen 45, uh, which is pretty amazing. But just goes to show that, I mean, that is just so St Kilda on both yeah. sides of the drafting record. And doesn't it feel also that we've always got Mark of the Year against us? It just, I don't know why. It just always feels like it. What, do we have Joe Danaher not long ago? Chad Wingard when he was at Port Adelaide, he had this on. Yeah, we're... It's a bit of a stitch up, <laughs> a bit of a stitch up, classic yeah. stitch up as, uh, as Goxie would say, but the, uh, the two weekly awards, Ollie, for, for you haven't, haven't done these before, but the Jason Blake award is someone who potentially deserves a little bit more credit than they currently Ooh, get. Oh, I like it. What do you reckon? Can I, can I have a moment? Ask H. Of and course. Come How about and H, H, you go first and we'll, we'll throw it to Ollie. Probably go, go, I gave him a vote, but I'll probably go Mason Wood. He, he still doesn't get... I guess the plaudits from most of our fans that he probably deserves. I think I, I still hear, well, he doesn't get the praise that he, when he does good things, but the second he's off, he's, he's pretty well jumped on. So, but I, I think he's done more good, a lot more good than bad this year. So it's, it's, I think it's about time everyone gets behind him because it's plays that bad days. He, he's not a superstar. And yeah, I, I think he just needs everyone needs to get behind him because I think he, as I was saying before, I think he can provide, provide a lot to us. So uh, he's played some ripping footy on the weekend. So yeah, just keep it going. Yeah, I, I think that's a great call. Uh, and 
trying to, you know, when I was thinking then, I actually think he's probably the only answer. He feels like the only player that genuinely doesn't get the credit he deserves. We, we, we share the love amongst everyone else when necessary. Whereas it just feels like he's a totally forgotten player. So I love when he does well, but mine is, is Callum Wilkie. I, I can't remember a player to come out of a lower league system fit straight in and not miss a game. Like it's incredible how much confidence I have in that man, how relaxed I feel anytime he goes up against a big name. It, it, it is just incredible. And we do give him the respect. I think that's what I was trying to say about Mason Wood. Like he's the kind of the only one that, that everyone just doesn't talk about. Whereas, you know, we saw a couple of weeks ago, Mason Wood was, I'm sorry. Um, Callum Bookie was captain uh, when, when Steely was out. We, we know his story. We know how impressive it is, but I still think we need to take a step back and think about how desperate we were not too long ago when we had Jakey Carlisle playing and we're thinking, mate, we need a seriously good defender here. And we could have gone out scrapped Hanabry's um, contract and spent some serious money on a, on a really well, um, you know, defined player, but we've nicked someone from an accounting firm. And I just think it's incredible. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Both, both very good calls. I've gone with Mitch Owens this week, just for some of the reasons I touched on before. I think in, in the twos for Sandy, we've seen him play some really strong attacking football through the middle, hits a contest hard, can kick a goal, knows how to tackle, et cetera. But I think on this weekend, kind of sacrificing his role for the betterment of the team uh, is, is a really good trait for a young bloke to, to show. And, and his job on, on Tom Stewart, uh, I think, like I said earlier, didn't hit the stat sheet that many times. I think he only had kind of 10 or 11 touches of, of the ball, but six tackles and, and that defensive pressure that we saw keeping Tom Stewart accountable, making sure that he couldn't impact the game as much as, as he, he loves to and Geelong love him to was really important and uh, was really pleasing. Uh, the Jason Blake, no, we just did the Jason Blake award. The Shannon Oll award, someone who has to lift. H, do you want to go first? Oh, this is going to be a group, ep- group effort, this one. Any player who is within 20 metres of Max King when the ball comes off the boot of a player from outside 50, get on a body, make space, clear the path for Max. Get Make it easier for him. Get, he, he's our target, but don't let him leave uh, left in the forward line the door all by himself against a whole defensive side. Yeah. Support him. Let, let's actually do something in the forward line. If you're within 20 metres, get in front of one of their defenders. Get a body on them. Get, just, just make a contest. Three on three is a lot easier to take a mark than three on one. Yep, I so, totally agree. And that's where I, I was I was looking at Tim Memory for, the, for that very reason. Um, I think he needs to lift. And, and in front of goal as well. He's, you know, in his milestone game. He looked nervous, didn't he? You know, there were some silly missed shots that we don't normally associate with Timmy Membry. And I think that he could be a little bit more physical as what you were just touching on there, H. But I think uh, his form in front of goals um, definitely needs to lift. I, I agree with both of you in that regard, but I'm, I'm going back to the well with, with Max King. I mean, we know the talent that this bloke has. He's one of the most talented football players that we've ever seen potentially in this competition. Uh, and can do things that not many other players can do or could have done. H, what do we got? I was going to say, and I'm, I was just going to add in, I, I don't think you've seen it, but Parco has sent in a nomination for us for tonight. I won't 
say it in his exact words, but he wants Brad Hill to win a contest. <laughs> we might have heard that a few times in the adder, I reckon, at uh, at games. But no, go, just going back to uh, to Max King, I, I agree with both of you that, that the guys around him need to help and support Max in his development. They've got to give him some room. They've got to, I, I guess, take some of the pressure off. They've got to pull some men off him. So you can't always have three blokes hanging off, uh, hanging off each arm, Ollie. But I think that that Max has to do better in not being so static and not expecting the ball dropped on yeah. his head every single time. I think he's got to make more of an effort. And and this really is an effort thing for him, I think, because we've, we've seen that sometimes if the ball isn't delivered on a silver platter to him, that he does potentially lack the second and third efforts that you know, other forwards can show. But I think even before that stage, putting in that, that effort to, to lead and double back and lead again and lead again. All the great forwards know how to do that. We've had a number of them at our footy club that have been amazing uh, at leading at the ball, leading at the ball deliverer. Uh, and, and we've seen at times when, you know, whether it's Brad Hill, whether it's Nazaya at times when they kind of force him and they pull him forward towards the ball, it's unstoppable. You cannot stop him when he's moving toward the ball with arms stretched out in front. You just can't stop the bloke. And and I think for yeah. him, it's just that expectation. You cannot expect the ball just drops, you know, at the, the at it, it's it's peak height on your head and that he's going to be able to mark it every time. I think he's got to make more of an effort. And that's that's where my uh, frustration sits with Max. Yeah, it just feels like it's the only thing lacking between him and the great man that wore number 12 before him. You know, Rui would would work and work and work. And he's a generational talent. We know that, but that is, that feels like that is the difference right now, because even Rui had his struggle in front of goals from, from time to time, but he, he never, ever stopped trying. He was always physical. He was just had the biggest tank in the world. And you'd just like to think that Maxi just hasn't tapped into that yet. You know, that, that that's, that's my hope. He just needs to, to figure out exactly how to do that. And then he'll be fine. Going to that number 12, I'd be pretty confident in saying that Max King is a more talented footballer than Nick Rewalt ever was. But Nick Rewalt had the mentality that he was never out of a contest, that he was never And beaten. he was Tasmanian. And keep that in mind. Yes, I'll keep that in mind. But he's he was never beaten. He's never going to yeah. be outworked and, and never gave up. And that's what he had over almost every other key forward of his generation. Um, Ollie, thanks for joining us this week. Obviously, a, a big game. Uh, we hope that we can put some points on the board and, and really take it to the Lions. It's a huge game for us. It's a massive one. Um, as I said, uh, it sucks that it's not that we don't play at the MCG, or else it would have been a, a pretty firm four points. As we know, the Lions don't like going there, but it'll be great to be under the roof. Hopefully, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about going down, you, we just got to, you know, we, we need we need that place to be rocking. And it's been a long time since it's felt like we have an intimidating place to go, and and it feels like teams roll up no matter what our form thinking they can just block the noise out so it is a massive game i'm really looking forward to it and hopefully the, the fans can all show up and we can uh, put them off their stroke h while there's still a chance we've got to we've got to give every shot first bounce that that's it first bounce get there hit it hard Let, let's actually put some i guess hurt on them early and and Make it make the contests. That, that's as simple as it is. We have to make the whole match a contest. But let's not just have these little patches again. Let let's let's get out there and just just win a game that is important. And and that's as simple as it can be. It, the season ends if we don't turn up. And that's it. That that's that's all we have to say to them. I think if you don't win, you don't win tonight. You're done. It's all over. Well, as of tonight, the season is still 
open. A final spot is still available as improbable as it might seem. It's still there for the taking. If we win this one, then we keep it going another week. uh, See you on Friday night. Go Saints.